2 has entered the podcast. Welcome, welcome back, people, to Player 2 has entered the podcast. That show about gaming news, backlogs, and everything video games. I am your host, Michael, a.k.a. MC Paperstacks, and my Player 2 this week. Panda Fox. <laughs> That's right. The super awesome, super wonderful, greatest TikToker in the world, Panda Fox. How are you doing? <laughs> doing pretty well. How have you been since last we talked? Last we talked, you were uh, bursting at the seams, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely busy. Um, I had a baby. He's almost six months now. So pretty much all my time is spent taking care of him. But I still try to squeeze in some video games when I can. Can relate for sure. I don't know if you I know you're a listener of the show. Do you recall the boppy hack? No. Okay, so you got your boppy pillow, right? Usually mm -hmm. used to help with nursing. The boppy pillow, especially for a newborn, he might be a little bit too big for this now. It, it depends on how he, he naps and hangs out. But especially early on for Malcolm, you put the boppy pillow on, you know, it goes around like your midsection mm -hmm. and you lay the baby there so so the baby can chill. If you have a bottle, cool. If not, whatever. And it's just a perfect place to rest your arms as well and play video games. It's so comfortable. Okay. Yes. I've like actually done that before. That's- Yes. If we can't like put him to bed before we play- if we mm -hmm. can get him to just kind of like hang out and like maybe take a nap on the boppy pillow. I have done that so many times. Exactly. It works well with like the switch. If you have the two controllers in your hand and you're playing on the TV too. Yes. I love the joy cons for that because one of the uncomfortable things is having to hold your hands together with a controller when you got something else going on, AKA like holding a baby. Yeah. But with, you know, the joy cons, you can have your hands this way, this way and that, and the baby can be comfortable and you're comfortable. It's perfect. Love it. <laughs> Anything <laughs> else been going on with you? That's pretty much it. Just stay at home mom life. Fair enough. Well, uh, as far as my whole deal these past couple of weeks, I finished, I mean, this is spooky season, so lots of spooky shows came out, but I finished Cabin of Curiosities, which is that curated horror anthology show that Guillermo del Toro dropped on Netflix. Now, you said that you hadn't checked it out because you weren't sure if you'd be interested in it, right? Yeah, I like kind of saw it pop up on Netflix and I maybe watched some of the trailer. I'm not even sure, but it didn't really look like anything that was noteworthy. So I kind of just skipped over it. Yeah, maybe that's just a fault of the marketing. I'm not really sure, but there is definitely a great hook. I'm going to speak about it at length on Call It Like I Don't See It. Their next episode is dropping on Monday. So check that out if you can, listeners and you, Amanda. But if you are trying to get sold on it, then let me drop it like this. You take Guillermo del Toro, and he is curating different horror directors. I'm talking like the director of The Babadook, the director of The Empty Man. Like these horror films that are really good, but have kind of slid a little bit under the radar. I think The Babadook was pretty popular, though. Some of the stories are original. Some are adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft's work. In fact, my favorite and least favorite episode were both H.P. Lovecraft stories, interestingly enough. And these horror stories range from like the super crazy scary to, you know, the analog for grief. Like there's ghost stories, there's monsters. It's just, it's all over the place, but it's all really good. And you can tell they put the money into it and they put more importantly, the passion into it as far as filming and cinematography and framing. Like there's a lot of love and care that went into each and every episode in this series it's probably going to end up being one of my favorite TV shows that I've watched this year. And is it like, you know, kid friendly or is it pretty? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Hell That's what no. it sounds like. The most kid friendly episode I want to say is probably... The last episode, episode eight, The Murmuring, and that's from the director of The Babadook. In fact, the main star of The Babadook, the single mother, that actress is the main star in the in this short. Hmm. And it is a ghost story, but it's not overly gory. You know, obviously it's scary because it's a horror, but that's one I would actually watch with my six-year-old son and I'd be okay. okay with it. But then again, I am an irresponsible dad, so who knows? Because, <laughs> yeah, with a uh, five-month-old, I don't know how much he uh, actually understands, sees, and hears things, but I try to kind of keep it, you know, like kid-friendly shows on with him, but then I'll secretly watch something on my phone with the volume kind of low and just read the subtitles. Yeah. So probably one of those, but I could probably binge it any day now. yeah this this might be a late night thing for you and your man just kind of hang out after you put the kid to bed you're for sure he's staying down for the final time <laughs> get in in like a 45 minute episode I, I i think that would be perfect i it's funny that you mentioned about the sights and sounds because you really don't want to mess your kid up right you don't yeah. know what they're gonna see 
I did really try to not super limit what Ben saw when he was young. I wouldn't like just show him like mad, crazy gore and like violence. But if people are fighting or if there's a little blood or violence or whatever, or if it's like scary and there's a monster or a ghost, I would watch it with him. And I would not visibly react. Like I'd try to stay chill and go, oh, that's cool or blah, blah, blah. Set the example. Yes. And then he mirrored my emotion. And if I saw that he was particularly frightened about something, we would go into the mechanics of it. So I remember one time we watched something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it had a creature. And I could tell he was a little shook by the creature design. So then we went on YouTube and we looked up the making of and I watched how they did the creature effects on that show with him and it demystified it for him. That's smart. Yeah, we also don't do the whole like, I don't, I don't want to frame it as negative, but it's basically lying when you when you tell your kid <laughs> there's a tooth fairy and there's Santa Claus. We don't lie to our kids and tell them that there's make believe stuff. We draw a very hard line between imagination and reality and we encourage imagination and my kid. Ooh, let me tell you, if you if you think not telling your kids about Santa Claus or the two fairies going to limit their imagination in any way, not true at all. He is bursting at the seams of imagination. I want him to be able to safely interact with creativity in all its forms and not let it color his reality or his world. He occasionally does get uncomfortable when the lights are out, but he doesn't scream or cry. He doesn't have nightmares. You know what I mean? Like, he mm -hmm. just lets me know, like, Dad, this makes me uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. nice that he has the language to say that rather than exactly. just freeze and be frightened, right? So not saying anybody else should do that. That's, it's just worked well for me in this particular case. We'll see how Malcolm goes. <laughs> yeah, because um, when uh, when Arthur was only a few weeks old, I, uh, I didn't know what love, death, and robots was. Oh, and no. So I started <laughs> watching it when I would feed him. Um, but I think he was definitely too young to even like see the TV or understand anything at that point. But mm. after that, I was kind of like, you know what, maybe I should uh, pay more attention to what I watch. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, the last thing you want to do is create like a hostile environment for the kid where they're just like, is this life? Is this what happens? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I totally get it. All right. Well, that that's it for me. Check me out on Monday on Call Like I Don't See It for sure. I'll put a link in the description for those who are interested. And then next week, of course, we're doing part two of three of the Outriders backlog. So look forward to that. I believe I'll have a guest that's been playing Outriders with me to join me for that. But without further ado, we're almost 10 minutes in. We got to get to these, this news. Lots of, <laughs> lots of fun news. Lots of fun news. All right. So first things first, Sony. They inexplicably removed the expiration dates from the games that will be leaving the PlayStation Plus service, which I thought was odd. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a smart move. I think giving people the opportunity to play the games before they expire is their best bet. And if you don't know when they're going to expire, how do you know what to prioritize? Exactly. They still have, I think, a section that's like leaving soon. But the fact that they don't just tell you and they could is it before, tonight? like, is it tomorrow? Yeah, they have the infrastructure for it. Like, w what gives? <laughs> Why would you want to start a game and then have to stop in the middle of it? Yeah. The lines are blurred a little bit between the essential, which is what PlayStation Plus has always been, and then your extra and premium tier. With Xbox Gold and Game Pass, people kind of get the division better. So obviously, with essential, if a game comes out and you download it, you have access as long as you're a subscriber. But the extra and the premium tiers are more traditionally Game Pass-like, so stuff will leave, leave. For example, uh, Red Dead Redemption left which means the only way to play Red Dead Redemption, the, the first one, on a modern console is through Xbox backwards compatibility. Like, that's it right now. What? That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it is wild to think about that. Like, PlayStation's not super friendly when it comes to backwards compatibility, but that's just where we're at, I guess. PlayStation 3 to 4, not so hot, obviously. All right. Xbox notably still putting up the expiration date. So Sony, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit later about why they maybe want to not roll back features right now. But uh, yeah, one feature that Sony does have that I really do like, and I mean, it's kind of standard. It's not like the greatest thing ever. And it's been out for a few weeks. I just keep forgetting to talk about it. Folders. PS5 has folders, right? Now, you mainly game on mostly Switch or Xbox. So with Switch folders, they're, they're okay. They came out with folders recently too. 
you can make folders, but you still have to go all the way to the end of the row to access the folders and you have to press an extra button. So they're kind of out of the way. But if you want to like group up, say, all your multiplayer games or your party games so that when friends come over, you just know immediately what to go to. It's nice. It, it helps. One thing that PS5 does, and actually Xbox does this too, and I really appreciate it, is they allow you to make folders and put any game that you own the license to, or in Xbox's case, have access to. So for example, I have a long history of downloaded titles I've purchased for Xbox 360, like Xbox Live Arcade, right? We got, you know, your Game Pass, your EA Pass, all that stuff. So the games I own and the games I have access to subscriptions, all of those I can put into folders if I want. And the best part about Xbox's system, and I think this is probably the best out of the three, is you can make a custom section for your folder so it shows up like sooner or later, like in your tabs, right? So it kind of flows up and down. You can make a section if you just want to see like a particular friend that you play games with all the time, they can show up first. Game Pass can show up first. One of your custom folders could show up first. Your quick pins, whatever, whatever, right? I really think that Nintendo Switch should adopt this policy. I love the fact because I have so many games I own, but I don't have them all downloaded at once. And then I kind of forget about them sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to mention that PS5 folders are a thing. It sucks because you can only make up to 15 folders. I know this because I tried to make a 16th one and it wouldn't let me. <laughs> I was like, really, I'm, I'm really into organizing. So I was like, okay, horror games. I got beat em ups. Okay, I got Japanese RPGs, we got Western RPGs. Like I was really splitting them up and then I had to consolidate a bit after that. So <laughs> Yeah, that definitely sounds like something I would enjoy because I like organizing things too. But I think right? to be honest, I don't have enough games. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Are do you have Game Pass? I think we just figured out that we were still paying for Game Pass and it took Nick a little bit to uh, figure out how to get into it, but I think it's working. The only problem was is that the game we were looking for was no longer on Game Pass. So if I have time, I could definitely go through and like see what they have now because it's been a couple, has it been like a year? Probably like a year since we actively were using Game Pass. Oh, wow. You and I need to talk after the show then. There's some good stuff on there for sure. I know you were looking at it a little bit, but man, holy crap. Okay. Uh, <laughs> moving on, PSVR 2. We finally got Deets. Oh, my goodness. Now, you had brought this story up to me, too, so it sounds like something you and Nick are following. Are, are you guys big VR fans? Like, do you have the, the original PSVR? Well, I have a PlayStation, but, like, let me tell you my PlayStation story. I got okay. a PS3 just for uh -huh. The Last of Us, and I got a PS4 just for The Last of Us Part Two. I remember that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's something that, like, ever since I think it was, like, the Oculus Rift came out, I've mm -hmm. always wanted to get one of the VR headsets, but I haven't done it yet. This might be the one to get. I mean, we're going to talk about the pros and the cons here, but just to get it out of the way, the launch date is going to be February 22nd next year. It's going to require a PS5 to operate. So it's already kind of steep if you don't have a PS5. That's kind of rough. <laughs> it costs more than a PS5. It retails at $550 right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that doesn't sound too promising for me. <laughs> no, no, it does not. I will say, though, that the original PSVR dropped by 200 bucks fairly quickly, though, I think within a year of its launch, but I, I could be wrong on that number. I just remember getting it for 300 and thinking, oh, wow, that dropped in price quick. So we'll see on that. And then finally, it's not backwards compatible for the original PSVR games. Nothing is. Right. <laughs> they have a justification. They say it's because of the expanded features of this headset which it touts some pretty impressive sounding features time will tell if those actually do make a difference but it has eyeball tracking so hmm. not only will it track your head but if you look down it can tell that's so cool yeah with that in mind haptic feedback you've probably heard the tale the ps5 controller and how amazing it can be when the haptic feedback is taking advantage of and let me tell you it is pretty impressive like i've played Returnal, Ratchet and Clank, and a few others that really take advantage of it, and it's magical. They actually have that implemented into the new handsets because they're not doing the wands anymore. They make custom handsets that have a wraparound that has a larger range of motion, and it actually can sense where you're putting your fingers onto the controller so that there can be more into articulation in the game. Hmm. Impressive sounding, right? See, this is where I just need my kid to grow up faster because, you know... <laughs> 
spoiling him with something like that means that we could play it. But having just a newborn baby, it's like, how do you justify spending that much money? Oh, I know. I I was so happy once Ben reached like Lego age. I was like, let's go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) You've probably heard this before, but they say that as far as like safety, as far as a child using VR, that you probably shouldn't let a child use VR until they're at least around age 12 is what I hear. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, the science may change on that, but obviously it has to do with developing brains and yada, yada, yada. So, I, you know, before I even like begin to think about putting my kids on there, I'll probably check like what the most recent recommendation is and mm-hmm. you know follow that. But yeah, just I mean, for anybody that's used VR, you, you've played VR before, right? Like at least. No, in, no, no, oh. I've never I've just I've watched a lot of like people play it on YouTube and like some of my friends have had them before, but I've never gotten to play it. You know what? I'm going to have you guys over. You and Nick, the baby, <laughs> come on over. We're going to set up VR because you have to experience it. It really does feel like you're in a different 3D space. It does trick your eyes and your brain. You know what I mean? And for some people, it actually makes them sick, myself included. I was going to say, that's what I'm scared of. Yeah. If I play, and, and again, it just depends. Like, do you do you get car sick at all? Or do you get any kind of vertigo? Or do you have history of that? <laughs> funny story i actually went skydiving with nick once and ever since then i have vertigo moments every once in a while like if i'm in an elevator and stuff like that it unlocks something in you like you felt that sensation that's wild it's interesting i didn't go skydiving but i did skydiving training which Mm -hmm. is where they have that fan powerful enough to fully pull you in the air so you can do the maneuvers that probably sounds more fun than what i did yeah it didn't feel like i was falling at all like when you jumped out of the plane did the air push back up to where after a while it just felt like you were floating rather than falling or did you feel intensely that you were falling the entire time pretty much just that i was falling i mean like watching the ground just get like closer and closer and really the biggest feeling is like your face is just like getting like flung yeah, blasted back. yeah <laughs> that happened to me too for the fan yeah and it was so fast i mean that's where like you jumped out with the instructor you like flew around for a little bit once the parachute came up and then you were on the ground. And after that, you know, you're like, I want to go again, but it's kind of pricey. So, and I mean, also the fact that, I mean, you're lucky enough to survive it the first time. Why risk going again? Why tempt fate? (laughs) (laughs) At least you can say that you've done it. That's badass. Seriously. Very cool. Uh, But yeah, yeah. we, We need, we need to talk offline for sure about that as well. So much stuff. All right, moving on PlayStation plus. I alluded to this earlier. There are, in a bit of a down spiral, they've lost nearly 2 million subscribers just a couple of months after their relaunch with the addition of the extra and premium tiers. I'm not really sure what the trend is for them losing subscribers, and it actually goes on even before the relaunch, to be honest. So the relaunch didn't seem to invigorate new subscriptions as much as they thought. The figures dropped from about 47.3 million to 45.4 which interestingly enough, still double almost the subscriber count of Game Pass, which I didn't think would be the case. However, Game Pass is trending up. It was 18 million last year, and I think it's around 25 million this year. I'm quoting off the top of my memory, so could be slightly off on the numbers. Sounds accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not really sure. I think in my personal opinion, Not that it was half-assed, but I feel like there's more they could have done to make it enticing. I like the pricing model, like the fact that you can pay an annual fee to kind of reduce the cost. And I like the idea of getting, you know, a larger access of library of games. However, the fact that they're still kind of like, we're still, we're not going to drop day one brand new games. We're still going to sell those to you at full retail. Meanwhile, Xbox is like, you just get whatever, right? And they have a larger back catalog, but they're not really taking as big of a advantage of that as I thought they would. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. They're, they're still making more money, interestingly enough. They increased 10% in revenue, and I think it just has to do with the fact that there are different payment tiers now. You know, mm-hmm. So people who stayed maybe bumped up to extra or premium. I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't really know much because I um, haven't really played the PlayStation, but mm-hmm. definitely... Like, I wonder if it's just because globally, if more people just kind of have PlayStations compared to Xboxes, because I mean, most of the people that I know are on Xbox, but, you know, I've had a few friends that are like PlayStation diehards. Mm -hmm. I've just never gotten super into it myself. But I mean, once like the PS5 is like, you can actually probably find one Mm -hmm. and cheap, 
I'm sure I'll get one and try to play some of the games, but I'm always kind of late to things because I always have to wait for the price to go down. I feel you on that. I uh, definitely operated that way for a long, long time because it just it just feels right. But then the downside to that, not that this would deter somebody who's wanting to be more cost effective, then you feel like you have a lot of catch up to do. Oh, 100%. Everything's already spoiled for you, but I mean, you can still try to experience it yourself finally. <laughs> yeah. And some games stand the test of time and others don't. I use this game in particular as an example, Bioshock. I played Bioshock way after its hay. And the problem with playing such an influential game long after its release and impact is so many other things have come out that have iterated from it or use it as inspiration that it, it doesn't hit the same way it doesn't feel as fresh and that's there's a little bit of fomo with me and when a big game comes out and i wait too long to play it i'm a little worried it's not going to hit the same so that's that's what i wrestle with <laughs> i would say that you're probably the model person to get playstation plus i mean you have a ps4 so you could do it there there are so many games, really awesome quality games that you get access to that, you know, if you haven't been keeping up with the library, you'd be in for a good time. I think the reason why it's not attractive to me is because I have been rocking with PlayStation this whole time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the games on offer I've already like bought during the launch window and played and beaten once, maybe even multiple times. You know what I mean? But there's some there's some bangers. PlayStation has there's a reason probably why they do numbers. They really have an advantage when it comes to first party titles and exclusives. You know what I mean? So Yeah, that makes that. sense. I definitely yeah. need to get to the point, which I mean, like now that I have a baby, it's hard to say like, okay, yeah, I can do that right now. But <laughs> at a certain point, once I get into more of a schedule with him, I think it would be fun to actually just go ahead and invest in it and then just find some of those games. Because like I have like running list of games I've heard people talk about that I still want to play. For and sure. also just like when you see one that looks cool. And I just need to actually sit down and do it one day, and I'm sure I'll have a blast. Definitely. And again, we're buddies, so if there's anything you're curious about, and I know that you know Full Metal Merc as well, uh, we have quite a few that we'd probably loan to you if you wanted to borrow something from us that we don't have to necessarily go all the way in on the cost investment. So Heck yeah. <laughs> hey, you mentioned Last of Us earlier, a little bit of news that you wanted to share on that. What's going on with it? Yes, The Last of Us show on HBO has a premiere date finally. It's going mm. to come out on January 15th next year, which I'm actually pretty excited for that. I mean, normally all I watch on HBO is like Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, but mm -hmm. I'm going to be checking it out for The Last of Us show. I was going to say, it's right up your alley. I mean, you love zombie shows. I mean, it's basically at the end of the day, like a post-apocalyptic zombie show, right? Yeah, and I kind of wonder like how true they're going to stick to the video game because I mean the video game playing it by itself is already like a movie experience in For my sure. opinion. And mm -hmm. so I kind of wonder if they're going to like portray it accurately or if they're going to make some like artistic changes and kind of just how they're going to do it because so far all I've really seen about it is like who they've cast, which mm -hmm. I mean looks like a pretty good cast, but I really want to see how they actually kind of put it together. From the casting, you can at least arrive that they're going to do the story of the first game because they have a Joe and they got an Ellie, right? Mm -hmm. I agree with you, though, when it comes to translating from a game, you know, where you have that long to tell a story to a shorter medium like a movie or a show. Some things may be lost, but because you have a show, they probably could get a little closer than they could if they were just doing a movie, which is exciting. And I feel like it's their attempt to take the power of that story. And I mean, obviously, it's their baby because they, they re-released it again. They remastered it. Now they're re-releasing it. And now they're doing the TV show. They just want more people to experience that story. And I could get behind that for sure. Yeah, the story was just like super deep and interesting. And I mean, the zombies were just, you know, kind of like the icing on top of like making it interesting. For sure, for sure. Like a, a zombie show by itself is cool, but the story can really elevate it. And Last of Us is definitely one of those properties that elevates it. Did you play the sequel? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. What did you think about the story on that one? It bugged me a little bit just because like you get so attached to the characters in the first game and uh -huh. you want to be on their side. And then they come out with the second one where you kind of see the opposite perspective and you really start to like them, but then it kind of clashes together on like, well, 
why aren't yeah. they just getting along and being friends? Like, I like you both. <laughs> just be friends. Yeah, I I agree with you. It frustrated me, but not in a bad way. It just really stuck to my ribs. I think about that story years on after I've beaten it, even now. Like, it just really stuck with me. And I think what was so powerful about it is because it was able to perspective switch and really show you that depending on what side of the fence you are are on and what context you have available to you, that you can really identify with and feel for somebody or just absolutely hate them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. And it, it can switch back and forth. You know what I mean? And so for someone who is empathetic or really has a need to identify with the protagonist, I rest like towards the end. I was completely against what the main person was doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, we shouldn't be going here. We shouldn't be trying to do this. We should 100%. be giving up on this. You, right? I'm like, what yeah. are you doing? But I had to be along for the journey because that's the game, right? Mm-hmm. So I've just never felt that kind of dissonance in a video game narrative before. And it was so powerful to me. I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, look, looking forward to seeing more from them. Let's go on over to Nintendo. Not a whole lot that I looked at. I mean, we could have missed a few things, but thought it was exciting to mention that as of yesterday from the day of recording, Mario Party 1 and 2 is on the Nintendo Switch Online service. Which I didn't realize. Okay, so yeah. I had the, what the, is original it, the NES or something like that. Well, so on Switch, I knew that you could get the Super Nintendo or whatever for free. And right. so I had that. I didn't realize that they had an N64 game that had all of those on there. Until I saw your notes and then I had to get my Switch out and go ahead and download it so that I can try to play these because I never played those Mario parties. I think the first one I played was for GameCube, but I'm like, I will definitely go back and play those. Well, on the N64 app, it is a part of the premium tier. So if you are on, yeah, (laughs) I was going to say it's a little bit more expensive. However, they can do a family plan up to eight. I'm in a plan I think is at max right now. However, if you and those listening, Hop on over to our Gamer Friends Discord. There's a lot of people in there that play Switch, like on the Switch channel. You might be able to pop in and go, hey, I'm looking to hop on a family plan with somebody. Because if you do have a maximum of eight, then you can get the premium tier of Nintendo Switch Online for 10 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Which I'm already paying like 20 just for myself. Exactly. So you got to get on a family plan. You, you re-up. You get the access to the NES and Super Nintendo, but now with the upgraded tier, you get access to Nintendo 64, you get access to Sega Genesis, you get access to a bunch of downloadable content. They've already given away the Mario Kart DLC. All of that comes with the premium tier of Nintendo Switch Online. The Animal Crossing DLC that recently came out comes with it as well. And I feel like there's one more, but they they just keep adding DLC to sweeten the deal, as well as obviously games that are added to the Sega Genesis and N64 app. And best part, I really love this. This is something I really want to emphasize. They have online support for Mario Party 1 and 2, Star Fox, a lot of the games that you'd probably want to hop on and play with other people. Huh. Very cool. I might have to look into that. For sure, for sure, for sure. So for folks interested, I mean, it's in the link description in the show notes. Get on Discord. Join us. Hang out with us. We'd love to have you. <laughs> All right. And, and you had mentioned something in regards to Nintendo Switch, a game you were, that was coming out you were excited about? Yeah, I saw the Oregon Trail is going to come out on Switch, hopefully at the end of this month. Mm. It just, they've like revamped it. Like I remember at school, like getting on the computer and, you know, trying to play that game where it's like, sure. you take with you. Okay, well, this happens. <laughs> Do you try to go through the river? Or do you go around it and spend an extra 14 days? And it's like, you know, it's just such a simple game, but it was still so much fun to just see like how far you could get and how everybody was going to die because pretty much everybody died. And so now yeah. they have it coming back with new graphics, like a totally more personal like kind of gameplay style where instead of like okay go hunting you actually get to go hunting and you either kill some animals and get some food or you get no food that day and so all i've seen so far is just like one trailer but Mm. it really does look interesting and when it comes out if it's affordable i might have to just kind of buy it to check it out 
Yeah, it wasn't on my radar until you mentioned it. And I got a chance to check out the graphical overhaul that they made. And it looks really cool. I like the look of it. I remember playing it when I was a kid in school and yelling out, my friends died of dysentery. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) And everybody did. But mainly because I played the game irresponsibly, I just spent all of our money on ammunition and I hunted squirrels and bears the entire time. That's all I ever did. We had like a thousand pounds of meat. Everybody was sick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on then. Uh, Oh, something we probably want to mention. If you are interested in Oregon Trail, it's coming out on PC and Switch towards the end of this month. Uh, I don't think they have an official release date yet, but we'll keep an eye out for that. Moving on to Microsoft news. Let's see what we got here. Microsoft is building an Xbox mobile gaming store to compete with Apple and Google Play stores. How about it? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good, except for the fact that all I have is the iPhone. And as it says, Apple's policy on blocking third party app stores on its devices means that it might not be so easy to get. Yeah, yeah. Now, Epic is fighting Apple right now about something similar to that. And we've heard how that's all going. It may end up relenting and allowing it, or it may end up being that in order to play the mobile app for Microsoft that you have to be on a non-Apple product. Who knows? I mean, Apple could look at that like they're losing a lot of money and decide to kind of relent on that policy. It's something I'm really, really curious about how it's actually going to go down, because if Microsoft really throws the full weight of their support behind this, and again, it all kind of hinges on that Activision Blizzard deal because with that comes King and their library of mobile games and their power in mobile development, including like Candy Crush and other heavy hitters, they could end up coming out the gate a contender. I think it's something to watch even if you're not into mobile gaming because this could change the shape of how proprietary Apple products have been up to this point. Mm-hmm. as just like a side consequence, right? Yeah. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to see on that. I'm keeping my eye on that. Discord on Xbox. I've tried it out. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's cool. It's just, it's really like I have the Xbox app. My friend was trying to explain it to me the other day because we were cross-playing Outriders with somebody that was on PlayStation. So we were all going to talk on Discord. And so I was trying to move our party on Xbox to Discord. He's like, you got to have that. And then you got to press this button and you got to switch this. And I didn't, I didn't have the option for it. It's like, you got to update first. And I tried to update. And they're like, there are no updates available. What they're saying is Discord and Xbox isn't going to need a phone soon. You don't have to worry about trying to do Discord on your phone, on the app, in addition to on Xbox. There's an update that will allow Xbox owners to connect directly to a call in a Discord server. And there's alpha testing that's occurring now. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks... If you're playing on Xbox with buddies, you're doing some cross-play stuff, or you just want to be on Discord rather than Xbox chat for whatever reason, it looks like that's going to be easier pretty soon. Yep. Sounds great for people who use Discord. Yes. Yes. Hopefully more and more people will, because it really is like, I was thinking recently, and I'll mention this more in depth later on, it's becoming like harder and harder to feel good using a lot of larger social media apps like Twitter and Facebook and Discord. I'm sure if I look into it long enough, it'll have its own problems. But just the fact that you have a server with you and your friends and you can just kind of be in there and not have to worry about all the bullshit of the internet and all the politics and stuff like you can just kind of hang out. Uh, And when I say politics, I just mean like who bought what, how they're operating it, how responsible and moral they're being. You don't have to worry about all that. You're just in Discord Mm -hmm. hanging out, right? So there's something to be said about that. More Microsoft news. Fallout 4, it's getting a free upgrade for all systems, uh, the PS5, the Series X and S, and the PC. So if you're a big Fallout fan, might be a good time to return to check out, you know, how it's looking. And then Game Pass in November is bringing a game that I've been eyeballing for a while, Vampire Survivors. It's a huge hit on PC. I don't play primarily on my PC, so when I see games on PC, unless I know for sure it's going to stay on PC indefinitely, I'll usually wait till it comes to consoles. And on the 10th of this month, Vampire Survivors is coming to console Game Pass, and I'm super excited about that. I know you were eyeballing Game Pass recently. Did you see anything you were interested in or anything that lit you on fire? 
Well, I saw that Subnautica is going to go off of Game Pass during this month, and I've never played that one, but that one sounded scary, and I wanted to check it out. So I guess I have a few days if I wanted to, but... You know, I tried it out because, I, I, I like you, I thought it looked interesting, and it's really heavy on survival elements and crafting, and I never really got far enough to see all the cool shit from the trailer. So <laughs> if you... I know you're a Minecrafter, so you probably have more patience than I do in this area. If you have the patience to really dive into the survival aspects of subnautica and get established so you can explore further into the game world there probably is something really cool to see there i just wonder how long it would take me to get used to that game i'd probably just figure out how to play it and then boom gone (laughs) yeah i mean at least you can try it out real quick and see if you like it and if you do then probably wouldn't mind throwing a few bucks towards it i tell you i love the relationship that xbox has with indies There are so many indies that drop on day one on Game Pass that I never would have had a chance to try because I would be too scared for the $20 or $30 buy-in. But I can just try risk-free on Game Pass, and then I ended up really loving them. And then if they do get removed from Game Pass, that's an easy, justifiable purchase for me. There's already been like a handful of games that I've bought because they left Game Pass, but I love them so much I wanted to own them. Yeah, that's what we just did with The Escapist too, because we played that you know probably a year or so ago when Mm -hmm. we were using Game Pass. and you know, we played it a little bit, never really got that good at it. And then all of a sudden I thought about that the other day. And of course, we find the Xbox, plug it in because everything was still packed up from moving. It's not on Game Pass anymore, but it was only $20. So we bought it. And now we've been playing it all the time. Never would have known that if you hadn't had a chance to try it. So that's awesome. That's really It was cool. definitely worth it. Uh, we got EA News. Dragon Age, the next Dragon Age. Uh, Dragon Age 5? I don't remember what number it is, but they're calling it Dragon Age Dreadwolf. It's in development, fully playable from start to finish, which means we have a solid alpha build that they can run through. And at this stage in development, you know, you're touching things up, you're shoring up game mechanics, you're making sure that all the bugs are worked out. We're in the final stretch, it feels like. So pretty exciting to hear if Dragon Age fans are out there waiting on the next one you may not have to wait much longer and now might be the time to kind of keep an eye out for it because it should be coming soon so good news there what else we got square enix all right so we talked about the deal where square enix sold off a bunch of their studios to embracer group and only like a month or two later embracer group has already shut down one of those studios so anoma which is the maker of hitman go is being shut down They're moving some of the staff to Eidos Montreal and the others are just kind of being let go. Yeah, I saw that. That sounds kind of sad. And it said something about how um, like they just changed the name and like did a couple other things like a month ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then now they're getting rid of it. So it came as a surprise to everybody. As typically, unfortunately, it's typical of how things go. And it's why large acquisitions always get the side eye because people's jobs are in the balance. And a lot of times when you have a lot of companies and development studios merging or being acquired under one umbrella, they'll just take a look and go, we don't need two of these. You know what I mean? And unfortunately that is the, uh, that's the other side of that, that uh, people don't often think about uh, when they're like, Ooh, such and such owns such. That's great. It's just like, yeah, maybe for you, but not for all those people who are about to lose their jobs. So yeah, it's unfortunate. We'll have to keep an eye out. Square Enix. I mean, there are a lot of other stories we could have talked about with them. There's a lot of NFT and blockchain fuckery that they're engaging in right now, unfortunately, and they'll probably come up in the, in the next couple of weeks. But I've said it once before, and I'll say it again. They have just lost the plot. I'm a little worried about some of the in, the releases that I am anticipating from them, like Final Fantasy. We'll have to see how that goes. Activision, Bl- speaking of fuckery, Activision Blizzard, I should have <laughs> my own section for them. Just like the Activision Blizzard messed up this week corner. Like They're always doing something wild. I didn't write down all the stories, but there was a story I saw this week about how you can actually earn Overwatch 2 skins faster in World of Warcraft than you can in Overwatch 2. How does that make any sense? <laughs> the battle net currency can be mined from coins you earn in World of Warcraft. And somebody did the math that you get so many coins, turn into battle net currency, use that currency to buy a skin versus trying to earn the skin in game. And you could do it faster with that, hmm. which I thought was wild. 
trying to think of like what else I heard from Activision. There was just a bunch of silly stuff. But the, the, the main thing that it really stood out that I did write down was <laughs> the release of Call of Duty. So let's get the good news out of the way first. Call of Duty is breaking records, right? Yeah, so I saw that the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 had the biggest opening ever for the franchise. It made over $800 million in three days. Wow. I will tack on another piece of good news. Phil Spencer recently went on record saying that as long as there's a PlayStation console out there, Call of Duty will be on it. <laughs> I take his words with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, he is a talking head for a corporation. But at least there's something that he said that can be held to account when they backtrack later on. Now, just because he says that Call of Duty will still come to PlayStation doesn't mean it won't come with less features or be possibly delayed. But I know that's the point of anxiety for a lot of PlayStation Call of Duty players. So now for the biggest opening, a lot of people, you know, they made buy digitally or they may buy physically. For those who like physical games, they may be surprised to hear that the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 disc is practically empty. The physical disc was shown to have around 72 megabytes, not gigabytes, 72 megabytes of data in a game that's uh, over 150 gigs large. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It is. Like, what's the point? I don't know. I don't have the best of internet. I don't have the worst either. So at 150 gigs, if I get that game in the evening, I'm probably just going to go ahead and play it the next day, right? But there are a lot of people that have different internet situations. They either don't have internet because of where they live or the internet's really spotty. They may have a setup where they pay more depending on the amount they have to download. Like this sucks. Yeah, yeah that's You know, true. like that's the reason why we have physical media. And I've heard people say stuff like, oh, well, do you want to have like three full Blu-ray discs because it can only hold so many gigs? And I'm like, I mean, yeah. First of all, they make Blu-rays that can carry up to a terabyte. I know they do. Like, I've heard this. But secondly, if, if it has to be on multiple discs, that is not unheard of. Yeah. Remember when we got GTA 5? You had to use that install disc first. And then yes. <laughs> the regular, right? I mean, cool. I still like the fact that I own the game. I don't have to download the entire thing from the internet because that game is going to have really poor resale value. And then if the servers go down, like as far as game preservation is concerned, and again, this is a concern of mine personally, it's worthless. It's basically a coaster, a Call of Duty themed coaster. Yeah, sounds accurate. Not the first time they've done this either. I've heard it's been done with like Tony Hawk games. Like it's pretty lame. Stop it. <laughs> Just put the game on the disc. Doesn't matter put how many discs it disc. is. People want the game. Yeah, I mean, if you're not going to have a physical release, cool. Don't do a physical release. That's your prerogative. But if you are, don't sell me a disc with nothing on it. What the hell? It's basically like a physical license that, again, is time exclusive because it won't last forever that you can download it off the internet. All right, moving on. CD Projekt. We got some Witcher news. First thing that I thought was really cool, a good thing, the Witcher, the original Witcher, they have a remake in development. It was originally in a slate of like projects they had mentioned, but it had a code name. But they announced for sure from the ground up, they are developing the original Witcher game in Unreal Engine 5. I think that's awesome. I think that's so great. Witcher 3 is my favorite game of all time. And Witcher 1 is locked on PC. And again, I have thought about getting it, but it looked really dated. And I've heard mixed things about you know how much fun you can actually have with it. And I've read enough like witcher lore to feel like i don't need to go back and play older games but a remake of the original game in unreal engine 5 yes please they're developing it looks like with help from fool's theory which is a studio that provides like development tool and gameplay support to larger studios they worked on outriders and Baldur's gate 3 most recently i think even uh, marvel's avengers if i recall i could be wrong about that but uh yeah i'm super geeked about it that's something I'd be interested in. I remember the first, like, any exposure I had to The Witcher was watching the Netflix show, mm -hmm. which I know we're going to talk about in a second. But I, after that, went to try to go find, like, The Witcher 3. Uh -huh. And I don't think it was on 
Game Pass at the time. And it was like, I don't know, $60 to buy it or whatever. Shouldn't be. I think it was at least when I looked before. Okay, it should, because I've, I've seen on sale several times, like the complete edition, including the DLC for 15 or 20. See, I need to find it because that's one that I would definitely actually really want to play because the you show was pretty rocks. interesting, but I'm like, yeah. the, the game, the game. Yes, 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 for sure, for sure. Well, yeah, I, I am digging the show, especially as somebody who has not, I haven't read all the books, but I've read like the first couple and it was cool to see like specific stories, like the whole issue of full test and his daughter and like that contract that he took, just seeing that played out, you know, on TV was really neat. And I haven't been like super in love with the deviations of the show, like Jennifer's backstory written out of whole cloth. None of that's in the books. None of it none of it. And I didn't mind it, but I was just like, why do you need to do that? There's already so much here you can adapt. You know what I mean? And apparently I wasn't the only one that thought that because there are rumors that the showrunners are not that big a fan of the books. And something that happened recently tells me that that may be the case. Henry Cavill was ousted as Geralt in the show and is being replaced starting in season four by Liam Hemsworth. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I guess they kind of have no choice because he's leaving. But it's going to be so weird to watch that. I hate it. (laughs) Thanks. I hate it. I know because it's the main character on an ongoing show. But the thing is, I don't think it had to happen. Some people are speculating it's because of his work on Superman. But I, I feel like when it comes to movies and shows, there are different schedules. He could have made it work if he wanted to. A lot of people think it has something to do with that aforementioned disdain for the source material that the showrunners have, especially since Henry Cavill is a self-professed huge fan of The Witcher and have been lobbying to play The Witcher for a long time. I think his clashing with how the show is being handled, the material covered in his character was just enough to where either he left because he felt pressured or disappointed with where the show was going or he was kind of pushed out. You know, the specifics are obviously unclear and probably will be unclear for some time. It's just a shame. I mean, I think if you're going to do a damn adaptation, the people that are doing the adaptation should love the source material. Is that so much to ask? You know? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think that if they were sticking to the source material more, that he probably would have made it work between both. Because I understand, you know, wanting to be Superman, but also he's like so iconic to the, the Witcher now that yeah. leaving it and then just recasting the same role with somebody else i it's just it sounds like a mess yeah i i was already not on the fence about the show but i was already like not fully in love with it and again part of that was just like some of the weird directions that they took with it but again i'm as a fan i was here for it i'm not even sure if i'm going to be i'm 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 disheartened enough to where i feel like i can't even watch the third season which he's in you know what I mean? And they had a really cool, I don't know if you've seen it, the spinoff movie with Vesemir's youth and how he became a witcher. Did you watch that? No, I haven't. You should check it out. It's on Netflix. It's an animated movie. Okay. And yeah, it covers Vesemir as a young man and then becoming a witcher and then like stuff that happened at Karen Morhan before Geralt was even a thing. It's really cool. And I really love, I love that movie. That was cool because it felt more close to the the source material. As far as I know, and I haven't read all the books, so I could be wrong. I feel like there was a lot that was taken liberties. Like there was stuff that was made up, but it, it, it felt like it fit better, mm-hmm. right? So there's a point to be made there. I guess we'll have to see how it goes, but you know. We have some, we have we're mixed feelings for Witcher fans. Good stuff and bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, mixed feelings. Exactly. All right. We got a few more stories left. So thought this was interesting. A recent study shows children who play video games on a regular basis score higher on tests of certain brain functions. I can believe it. Right. Right. I can believe it, too. I mean, I feel like as a gamer myself and somebody who's been playing games since I was a kid on a regular basis, I have certain advantages with hand-eye coordination and memory, but what what this study did, which I found interesting, they had a a sample size, looks like, of over 2,200 children split into two groups. You had gamer kids that played like three hours a day, 21 hours a week or so. That was the average. And then kids who just did not play video games. 
Uh, the study found that gamers exhibit better cognitive performance involving inhibition and working memory, and that regular gaming actually altered the area of the brain that governs visual attention and memory processing functions. No differences notably on mental health. And this is a study that was conducted and then followed up for several months after. So I like that they threw that in there because every time there's a shooting, every time there's some kind of a violent act, people are going to want to go, well, it's these violent video games. Yeah, like, just blame the video games. Goat. Exactly. And it's just like, no, because before that it was, oh, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's metal music. It's it's It's, it's horror always movies. something. It's always something other than what it actually is, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, very cool. And I got to say from my own experience, my son, my first son, he had some issues initially with like holding pencils and, and eye hand coordination. And he's been drawing a lot, which has really helped. But also as soon as he started playing video games, I just immediately noticed a difference in how articulate he was with his hands. And I found that interesting. Yeah. When I was a kid and I started playing like my first Nintendo DS, I just remember it was like, I would say almost common knowledge that playing video games helped with hand-eye coordination because you're staring at the screen and you know exactly what buttons to press. You know mm -hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. And you're constantly practicing it. Exactly. I mean, and there's a lot of advantages. There is a school of thought, and this is still in the medical community as well. So it's it bears mentioning that too much screen time can affect a child's ability to sit still, be attentive, and pay attention. I believe there could be an effect, but it's hard for me to say because the pandemic happened in the last couple of years. So any attention problems that my kid has had, I'm always wondering, is it screen time? Or is it the fact that, you know, we were isolated for a few years and it's tough to be around kids again? You know what I mean? Like he's doing really well in school. He's doing awesome. And I don't want him to just sit in front of a TV all day, obviously. And luckily he does still want to hang out and do things. Uh, sometimes we got to force him. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to strike that balance. I think we all are. And it's just it's hard to say. So when I hear studies like this that come out that say, even if we don't know 100% all of the pros and cons, that there is a lot of positive that goes into it. It makes me feel pretty good. Yeah. I mean, screens are pretty much unavoidable at this point. I mean, between yeah. TVs, phones, iPads, computers, video games, like mm -hmm. all of it. I mean, mm -hmm. how many kids never get exposed to it? I mean, how can you really compare and see if there is a difference? Exactly. I, I do, as a parent, though, I do not want to get my kids smartphones or Me social either. media accounts. I really want to avoid that. I do feel like having your own smartphone or being a regular on social media accounts can really be detrimental to a child's social development. I truly believe that because I, I, I've just seen how it has affected the recent generation, you know, like younger kids who have grown up with their phones. I'm in a really lucky place. A lot of us millennials are in a really lucky place where we were able to be off the internet for our childhood. And then the internet just started to kind of really take off as we were young adults. Or like And see, I'm, I'm right on the border. Like, I think I'm technically considered Gen Z, but mm -hmm. I relate more with millennials. I was born in 1998. So whatever that cutoff is. Oh, wow. Okay. So when, when did you get your first smartphone? That's kind of the thing, you know, talking about all these video games and how I have to get stuff when it's cheap. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. So we okay. didn't have a computer or internet at all in my house until I was in eighth grade. Okay. The first phone I got was a little flip phone back when I think I was in maybe sixth grade. So I was probably 11. Got it. I used to have an iPod touch, which I could only use when I had Wi-Fi, which the internet we had at my house was just like one internet cord. We didn't have Wi-Fi. So I could use it at school or at friends' houses. So that's kind of how I did a little bit of social media, but not all the time. I didn't yeah. get an actual iPhone until I was maybe a senior in high school. I got you. So you were naturally limited by your means and weren't able to, you know, completely immerse yourself like some kids are today. Exactly. Uh, which probably, you know, like, trust me, I grew up poor too. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend it's a positive thing. It sucks. But that's a silver lining. At least it limited you in areas where it actually could have been detrimental had you had access. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have changed a thing looking back at it now. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's move on to other news in the development space. We had talked about the story uh, for a couple episodes now, Disco Elysium. 
the uh, writers that were unceremoniously let go, the developers of Disco Elysium themselves. One of the former writers that was let go was actually suing the studio. <laughs> so for those who don't remember, Martin Luigi, he had previously alluded to the fact that there was unfair firing of the writers, uh, some of the, the art people, and one of the people named was Robert Kurvitz. He is the one suing the studio, and he's doing it through his own company. Part of the request is that he legally obtain documents that pertain to his dismissal. So it sounds like a wrongful firing suit, perhaps. It could also be an attempt to reclaim Disco Elysium's IP rights. That's what a lot of people are speculating, which would be positive because it sounds like they're, you know, from what Martin said, ain't going to be no sequel if it remains under Studio ZAUM. So... We're probably going to hear more because there's actually a hearing late in November. We're going to hear more soon in the next coming weeks. But it sounds positive that they're going for it. Obviously, if they are going for it, it seems like they have a case that could be made. And, you know, between the strides that we've seen with workers' rights, unionization, it seems like a lot of people, you know, good or bad, because Helena Taylor is a terrible uh, example, but people are be able to garner kind of like an online rallying and support, and they're able to fight for their rights once like the story gets out of how they're treated at their particular studio. And this is an example of that, I feel like. Yeah, definitely a good thing that people can uh, get behind and actually help and make a difference now. For sure. For sure. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and see how it develops. Last thing, and this was, I alluded to this earlier about social media, so I kind of want to bring this up. Elon Musk recently finalized his Twitter deal to purchase the company and his actions from the moment he took over up to a certain point have chased away probably one of the better gaming journalists on the platform, a guy that I followed because he was just on the spot with the news which really helps me with this show, to be honest. Nibble, uh, his handle was at Nibelian. Uh, he had about just under half a million followers at the time that he left the platform, citing basically the way that Elon Musk has, has been acting as one of the reasons he decided to leave. Looking into it, there were probably additional reasons, but maybe this was like the hair that broke the camel's back, so to speak. He wrote, I think, a message on his Twitter that he was going to leave the account up so people couldn't steal his handle for nefarious reasons or hack it. And he was just going to stop posting, unfortunately, and uh, sharing news. Now, as far as like what Elon Musk has done, it could be any number of things. I've been loosely following his actions since he took over Twitter. Elon Musk sucks. I don't know if anybody does follow him or listens to me or, or knows anything about him. He's a terrible person. There are rampant stories about his sexism and, and, and sexual assault of his employees, racism being like fostered under his management and unaddressed just, and he's not even like people think he's this genius inventor, but he just buys patents. He didn't invent shit hardly. You know what I mean? Like he's not Tony Stark. Let's just say that. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's been trolling accounts. I think. He had said something smarmy when uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked. Again, not a fan of Nancy Pelosi or a lot of politicians that I feel like were on the corporate side. But to be smarmy about somebody being attacked, didn't like that. Uh, he fired half the Twitter staff and the entire board, taking sole control over the company. Jesus. Yeah, there was there was uh, an idea he was mulling over about charging $20 a month for verified check marks, which I was like, what? Um, and then, I mean, I think the moment he took over, there was reported rise of hate speech where the N-word itself, I think, was quoted thousands of times in just 12 hours after he took over. Like, it was wild. So... <laughs> I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. I've honestly been contemplating quitting Twitter myself and maybe even Facebook at this point because I just I feel like I can no longer support what these companies are about and the negative influence and impact that they've had worldwide, not just in here in, in the US. It's just it's getting untenable. You know what I mean? So I get where he's coming from, but it sucks and I'm going to miss him. See, I'm already ahead of the game there because I just never really use Twitter at all. It makes no difference to me. I never use it. Yeah. I kind of love Twitter. I get news from Twitter. I get news on, like saving money. I follow a lot of Twitter handles that immediately tell me when shit goes on sale. It's the reason why I know whenever the, the Witcher is cheap. 
there there are useful ways to use it, but at the same time, it's just like contributing to it, making it a better place, this and that and the other. It just seems harder and harder. I, I get where he's coming from. I certainly do. But that being said, that is the gaming news for the last couple of weeks. Hope you all enjoyed it. Before we head out, Panda Fox, we do have a listener question in the spirit of the holiday that we recently had. How, how was Halloween this year, by the way? What did you guys end up doing? So it was our first Halloween as actually being homeowners. So oh. we had fun buying some decorations, kind of going all out on our porch. Yeah. A big old bag of candy. And it was like our first year just handing out candy to all the kids. Mm-hmm. We just kind of dressed up our baby in like a little Halloween outfit kind of thing. Not like a costume, but just a cute outfit and had to like yeah. open the door for everybody and just be like, oh, hi, here, take some candy, take as much as you want. Because, you know, we wanted to be that nice house. Yeah, it feels awesome. I, I, I also I can relate from the perspective of a homeowner living in a neighborhood, having kids come by, passing out candy. It's super fun. Heck yeah. Well, Jason R., who had sent in questions before, I believe. So if if I'm wrong, I apologize, Jason, but I feel like I recognize your name. He reached out with something that I feel like a lot of people have been talking about lately, but I still like the question. So it's, it's a good idea for us to check it out. He wanted to ask, what game or video games scared you when you were a kid? Like what freaked you out? All games. All games, all 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 the spooky ones. They kind of get my adrenaline, you know. Like zombies gonna pop out around the corner. I might scream a little bit. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting because you're younger. Like you were born in '98, and there's some fucking scary games that came out like when you were little. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, well, I mean, like I used to play DS. Like I started playing DS when I was maybe eight years old. There's not a whole lot of like scary DS games. So I think the first game that I actually discovered that was like pretty terrifying was Slenderman on the computer. It was Mm. it was easy enough that I could download it. I didn't have great Internet or anything like that, but it would still run Mm -hmm. having Slenderman stalk you and having no idea how to get away from him. There was definitely a few times that I screamed and just like dropped the mouse and was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Fair enough. I, uh, it's harder for me to think of a game that scared me when I was a child, because when I was a child, everything was beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> like it was NES. You know what I mean? I remember playing a game. It was a Mickey mouse game based on like a park where you'd go to different levels. And I don't remember the name of the game, but you go to different levels that were based off of rides at, Disneyland and one of them was like a haunted mansion right so you had to like go through and like there there were ghosts and stuff and I remember like you'd walk past a mirror and it would have your reflection but one of the mirrors you'd walk past had like a monster and it would pop out at you that scared me (laughs) and I was like whoa that's a thing so that was my first memory of like that trickery and then the rest of the games that really scared me probably happened more when I was a teenager. I remember playing Eternal Darkness on GameCube. That was freaky. There was a lot of jump scares in that. You know, the, the whole madness thing where like you were starting to go crazy in games. So weird stuff would happen. Like the walls would bleed. Statues would start to turn their head to look at you as you walk past. I was one of the, you know, the original OG kids playing Resident Evil. So that famous hallway that you walk down, you're almost down the end of it and then the camera's right by this window and boom zombie dogs come crashing in that scared the shit out of me yeah that would scare me as a young man i think i was in college when silent hill 2 came out and i remember that was my first exposure to the silent hill series and i i played i think three is scarier but two just getting hit with akira yamaoka score the fog the monsters the weirdness all of it all at once like that always stands out as one of the scarier moments i've had in gaming for sure so i remember playing pt i don't know like what pt is a part of or anything like that i just solely remember playing it and that one was scary yeah so pt stands for playable teaser and originally and i think it's because hideo kojima likes to do this it was dropped without any kind of ceremony but obviously meant to be a kind of prelude to silent hills which was a game that kojima was developing for konami and originally silent hill one through four made by a development team called team silent not all the members all the time least of my members in four after that a bunch of western development studios took their hand at silent hill 
a lot of fans didn't dig it. They were okay, I guess. I wasn't a big fan myself. But then with Kojima doing it and him already having such a rep with the surreal moments he was able to craft in the Metal Gear series, people were pumped. <laughs> and then, of course, there was a whole falling out with Konami and Kojima. They canceled the project. He left and then got his own studio, made Death Stranding. There's news now, obviously, that huge Silent Hill news dump that happened recently where stuff is happening again. I would have really loved to see a Kojima horror game. And I think we're going to see it eventually. But a Silent Hills, I think that would have been neat. So do you still have the PT on your uh, on your PlayStation? No, I remember. I don't know. I don't know if I played it at a friend's house or where, but I just know one of my friends was like, hey, there's this game. You should just play it with like no context. And I was like, oh, what the no. fuck is this? <laughs> that's mean yeah i you unfortunately because of konami's pettiness you can't get it anymore it's not even on the the online store and if you have it on your playstation you delete it you just don't get it back dang that's a bummer i know right so my old playstation has it and it's just sitting there and i'll never delete it is it like like flappy bird on your phone where like now it's worth tons of money if you try to sell it yes (laughs) yeah if you go on ebay right now and try to search like i think Konami is trying to take those down as much as they can, but on the black market, like you can sell your <laughs> PlayStation 4 with PT for a decent chunk of change. That is for sure. All right, folks. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week. We're going to close it out here in a few, but first give it up to our sponsor anchor. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And we're back. What a wonderful ad that we totally listened to that just happened. Panda Fox. Do you got anything going on right now? Any projects you want to point out? Things that you want people to see? Now's your time to plug. Hmm. Well, I've been really busy being a new mom. Congratulations again. Thank you. I recently was able to make a single podcast episode for The Walking Dead. It's the final part of the final season. And so if you're not a person who's actively watching the show, but are maybe just interested in how it ends, then uh, kind of just stick with me here because eventually I will talk about every single episode. And since you haven't watched it anyways and you don't care about it, then you can just kind of listen to it at your own pace and fill yourself in on what's happening. Awesome. (laughs) I'll make sure that we have a link to your show in the show notes. Folks, check it out. Show her some love. Really appreciate it. And uh, I think that will be it for this week. So we have our link in the show notes. As usual, you can listen to us wherever podcasts are listed. But the hub is anchor.fm slash player two is the the pod. Every single Friday, we drop in something. You want to show us support? You can do that for free by following, liking, subscribing, rating, commenting, reviewing, all the social media things. But of course, we have a Patreon as well. So definitely check our link tree for details on that. And if you haven't already, get on the Discord. Join me in the backlog discussions. Put in a game that you want to see played and play it along with us. We would love to have you. I think that's a show. All right. Panda Fox, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. Such a good time when you come through, and I really appreciate you and your perspective. For folks who came out and listened to us this week, I want to say thank you to you as well. I want to remind you that we love you, and I hope to see you next week. Take care. Bye.